Hi, folks. Uh, so, Jit and I are back. Uh, Fat Protocols podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to discuss a really, really interesting company. Uh, I'm an investor in this company. It's a publicly traded company, so I hold some stock. And uh, it's an enterprise low-code automation software uh, platform. The company is called Epion. And uh, we are going to take a, a deep dive into what that company is, uh, how the, is it really appealing for uh, investments at this point? And uh, basically, you know, just gonna uh, make it uh, interesting for you. Um, Sarbajit, welcome back. Thanks, we're like, glad to be here. <clears throat> so when, when we uh, spoke previously, you mentioned that uh, you uh, know some people who work at Epion. Um, yeah, 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 I, 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 I know some folks who work there. Um, it's a, a Bay Area based, right, company. And mm-hmm. um, well, actually, I think they are in Virginia. Epion. Oh, I might hold on. No, they have. They might have a big presence here. Actually, I know some people who work oh, there. Oh, they, they, they might. The, the, the HQ is in Virginia. Well, the HQ might the, be the, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I know them for a while. Uh, yeah. Like, you can't avoid, like, this, these high-flyer startups right. um, when you live here. Like, who's getting funding? Are they making some traction? Um Yep. Yeah, so the the CEO, uh, Matt uh, Kalkins, he actually worked for uh, MicroStrategy um, and uh, he became pretty successful. Like he was like a youngest director um, as per uh, the Wikipedia page uh, for the enterprise product group. But uh, when he was uh, 26, he left MicroStrategy and uh, founded uh, Epion in uh, 1999. So Epion is, uh, let me, you know, kind of give a quick overview of what the company is. And um, I would love to uh, get some of uh, uh, your um, opinion on the company, Sarbjit. So uh, Epion has a lot of customers across the board from small companies to large companies. And uh, what they do basically, I I think from what I understood, uh, the biggest value proposition um, that they have is they um, automate and bring together a lot of uh, systems and processes uh, onto their platform. So for example, one uh, case study that they had on their website, um, a company connected like 22 systems uh, in their contact center. So if somebody calls and uh, they need to check on some information uh, about the customer, what policies they have. It was an insurance company. Uh, they would have to check, you know, quite a few systems to get the full picture of what's going on. And somehow they just connected all those 22 systems into one Epion interface and they just all in one place. And they're saving like 90% of the time in the call center, which, you know, obviously huge cost savings and a huge... Uh, customer uh, satisfaction increase. And uh, they're also low code, which means is that basically if you want to automate a process, you um, can work like in the Visio. Uh, You can drag all those, you know, diagrams, the process flows, 
and uh, uh, with, you know, probably a little bit of the code in uh, some of the applications maybe that you want to connect to that process. But uh, it's, a, it's a really, really low code. Um, I think I, I watched the video with uh, Matt Calkins and he said that uh, when they IPO'd, I don't know what the situation is now at 2020, but back in 27, when they, uh, 2017, when they IPO'd, they were the only low code um, automation uh, company that went uh, public. So uh, their stock uh, has performed uh, pretty uh, greatly uh, in the last uh, few months, especially in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, they basically doubled from, you know, 60, 70 to almost 130. And uh, I kind of got lucky that I, uh, I, I think I bought it, I don't know, 50 or something. And I just decided to uh, hold on to it. Uh, nothing life-changing, but, you know, it's pretty uh, awesome to see that uh, one of your stocks is doing, you know, 100% plus. Um, so, um, so, yeah. Tesla is doing that for me. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, you know, one of the uh, goals that I'm trying to accomplish by discussing Appian today is, you know, if I, uh, if we discover something else that would make me want to buy a little more of that stock, because, you know, they are under $10 billion and uh, they have not uh, turned profit yet. But uh, based on the charts, uh, on their revenue and profit um, chart, I I sense that they might become profitable in the next, you know, two or three quarters. And that will obviously, um, you know, make the stock probably explode uh, when, you know, companies finally get profitable. Um, so, yeah, they are, you know, between eight and nine billion dollars right now. And I think, you know, 2030 is uh, not that far um, um, in the future. So, um so that's my kind of quick uh, take and quick overview on the Appian. I feel that they are becoming a pretty um, standard protocol uh, across enterprise uh, companies uh, and systems uh, where, you know, so many co corporations will be leveraging um, that low code um, protocol that they are uh, setting in place. Um, Sarbjit, you know, the, the floor is yours, you know, feel free to um, contribute uh, to that over you. Yeah, sure. Um, I was looking at the APN uh, LinkedIn site and people I know there and stuff like that. There are two people I know and my acquaintances. I got confused with an APN. Aperio and Apian. Aperio, I know a lot of people there. And they are more more uh, bold on company on Salesforce. And they were an independent company, but but mm -hmm. now it's called Salesforce Company. They bought bought them. I think they bought Aperio a few years back. I okay. know their upper management CEO and the people who started, but not the not the Apian. Just uh, that that conf removing that no, confusion there. No worries. Yes, um, the, the this is not a new category. To be honest with you, we painting some picture like well, how we got here right um we, we um, started with enterprise bus uh, services bus esb what we usually call it right long time back in uh, 99 2000 those very early sort of days of esb actually i happened to uh, develop some part of the 
enterprise services bus at company called Commerce One. We were the very early on before IBM jumped into it, before mm-hmm. before uh, Oracle jumped into ESB. Um, uh, it, it's a modern way of connecting different pieces of software. They can be heterogeneous. Something is written in, let's say, .NET technology. Something is written in Java. Something is written in Python. You don't care. Mm-hmm. You mesh up the application in a visual, like like a drag and drop uh, kind of flow, right? Flow of events. You know, there's a start, and then there's a process, and there's end. Yep. And then each activity, the, the arrow is going from one to another, and sometimes one to multiple. Uh, if then else is kind of thing, there's logic there, right? And uh, you're sending documents to third parties, and they're sending it back to you, and then. There's input and output. At the end of the day, there's input to each activity in that sort of flow chart, if you will, and there's output. Mm-hmm. And based on that, you make some decisions. Um, so it's a modern way of developing applications or integrating different pieces. Um, I call actually just coming coming to very recent years, uh, low code, no code is it's a new, these are new terms we have developed uh, recently. I call them ERP 2.0, or you can call them ERP 4.0 or whatever. This is a new, newer breed of ERP, if you will. Um, ERP was, yeah, I have I worked at two ERP companies, like PeopleSoft and Oracle. Uh, SAP works the same way. Those are the those were the three big companies. Now there are two because PeopleSoft was bought by Oracle. So um, there are a few others, right? Um, but uh, they're, they're small players. Um, the the idea at the ERP was that there's a tools team, they develop tools on one side, and there's an applications team which uses those tools, those abstractions actually. So those tools let you abstract the core technology, the persistence, the messaging, uh, the security, all the stuff, right? Um, the the logins and all the stuff, you know, identity management. They they abstract that from the application folks that you don't have to muck around with that. It's already taken care of for, uh, for you, scaling also, right? So you have to just paint, create a form, put some fields on there, you know, um, put the save button. You can do other stuff behind the scenes, the processes and all that stuff. You can send those documents somewhere. You can persist it. You can massage it. You can do a bunch of stuff, but everything is based on the API or the, the utilities provided by that platform. So that I, I don't see any difference between that and what APN does. But APN is what APN does is it it goes across vendors. So for example, Oracle will work with the when you're developing Oracle applications on top of Oracle Fusion, that, that's the technology name, right? Mm-hmm. So they they will work with just Oracle uh, stacks and Oracle Way of persisting in the Oracle objects, Oracle database, all, like all that backend is that right? mainly, right? Um, but if you want to get data from SAP or something else, like which is not Oracle, you have to do like a lot of sort of grunt work. But here, APN went up a level, right? And all these new vendors, they go up a level. And it's like, we will let you get data from different, we'll let you get data from sales data from Salesforce and then. Uh, 
your human resources data from uh, Workday uh, and, and other multiple, some data from your own data center. You have some applications in your data center which are homegrown. So you can mash up that and then create applications. I think uh, there's a great appetite for that. And I think another another reason for the stock to sort of blow up is I think the COVID situation, right? People needed to cook up some applications very quickly. Um, and That's a good for, point. For, yeah, yeah. And I think it, um, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> I, I told you last time I'm reading a book called Narrative Economics. Narratives are um, powerful. So if your stock got labeled during these last, let's say six to nine months as COVID stock, right? Means like you do good in the in the this kind of situation um people just don't look deep they just say okay you know let me buy this and then it just stops mm-hmm. flying. so the covid um covid stock is a term as of late and that narrative took off and uh, i think part i mean i'm not saying that it's not great technology and and the price is high or something i actually i don't get into the price i'm a technologist so i talk about technology but uh, I think uh, some part of the, the sort of value can be that inflated with the sentiment or the narrative. Well, I mean, the, the stock market is always, I mean, quite often is disconnected from, you know, the fundamentals, from the reality. Uh, we, we all know that. And um, I, you're making a great point that, uh, you know, COVID, uh, obviously the processes got disrupted across multiple, uh, I mean, most companies with people going remote, uh, some revenue streams shutting down, some other revenue streams, uh, you know, increasing. So a lot of changes in the technology has had to be done to accommodate for all those changes. And obviously if Appian uh, offers a really quick and really, uh, you know, cost-efficient way of uh, accomplishing that. Obviously, you know, they probably signed up uh, a lot of companies. And uh, um, in terms of uh, COVID stock uh, labels, uh, it's another great point. Um, Like, you know, Zoom has been obviously labeled uh, a COVID stock. A few other companies. I don't think I saw this label on uh, Appian, um, though. So hopefully, you know, um, and I don't think they really, you know, crashed when, uh, what was that, like a week ago when the vaccine news came out that um, the Moderna's scene uh, yeah. was, you know, 90% effective and uh, Zoom crashed and a uh, few other uh, stocks crashed. I don't think Appian really, you know, took a hit there. Um, I think it's a pretty uh, uh, d- different category of stocks. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I would be uh, pretty interested to know if, uh, I don't know, so they are adding a lot of value in uh, automating business processes and creating applications. And um, thinking back, uh, when I worked at the Ameriprise Financial, I was in a a special, you know, uh, re-engineering trans- strategic transformation group uh, where we basically were deployed on uh, multiple projects to, you know, reduce costs across companies and things like that, or, you know, fix their processes. 
And uh, when Ameriprise uh, acquired a, a small um, advisor company from Florida, like 150 advisors uh, plus some uh, assets under management, uh, our group was uh, deployed uh, on that project uh, in retrospective to basically uh, process map uh, how everything went because they w uh, went really, really quickly. And uh, obviously, you know, a lot of things went good, but a lot of things also uh, went uh, not so good. And so we were deployed to analyze how things went. Uh, we uh, documented the process that uh, happened, and then we uh, suggested the new process uh, in case, you know, Ameriprise would be acquiring uh, more and more of those companies because organically they cannot really, you know, grow uh, as much anymore. So they were kind of on a, you know, shopping spree. So I, I could totally see uh, how uh, having like we, we had everything in Visio and it was like a complete cross company uh, um, process. We, we spoke to all kinds of VPs, to all kinds of IT uh, people just to understand what happened. Like, you know, from basically making the phone call to the company saying, hey, we want to buy you to uh, bringing uh, all the assets under management onto the Ameriprise platforms and uh, hiring uh, all those advisors who decided to stay with Ameriprise after the acquisition. And uh, yeah, if there was a way to um, quickly automate and, uh, you know, have a low code um, implementation of uh, that application that would automate that process, where, you know, you pick up the phone, you call the company, say, hey, we want to buy you. They say, okay, let's talk about it. And then you, you know, push the button in this application and the process basically starts. And then every stakeholder in that process, you know, participates in that application and, you know, things flow. So uh, there, there's a lot of value in that. Um, I, I wonder if uh, Appian might be setting any standards, you know, protocol technology-wise in uh, business process automation. Uh, Subject, you have probably a lot more uh, experience than I do with uh, automating processes. Uh, like, you know, a, a, an example, you know, Python, we all know that Python is uh, pretty much the default uh, language for uh, machine learning, right? It, it's kind of becoming that you know, language protocol for machine learning. Um, I wonder if Appian is setting any standards in business process automation. For example, if you are not using Appian and you decide to use some other vendor, it may not be as compatible with some third-party tools or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any, you know, knowledge in, in this uh, domain. Yeah, and I I am not aware of Apian leading leading or creating any new standards, but they are leaning on or leveraging a bunch of existing standards, right? So the data exchange, I always say that that is a the a technology takes off based on convergence of bunch of technologies. It's never alone. It's never alone. You have to look under the hood and see what other technologies help this technology take off, right? So low-code, no-code platforms are taking off because uh, of the API-first sort of uh, approach taken by a bunch of software companies, technology providers, and or service providers. 
So you can get data in and out of these applications with a lot of ease by using REST APIs. And with the JSON format, that's a standard. Mm -hmm. REST is a standard now. Uh, SOAP was a competing standard to REST. It kind of failed, lagged behind. Yeah, Still is in better, use. Yeah, yeah. and um, on data format, data serialization, there are some standards, XML, uh, YAML, and JSON. JSON is the leading sort of contender there. So they, they're leveraging all these technologies behind the scenes. And um, it's always, in software, it's always about abstraction. Abstraction, right? Abstraction, I always say, is your friend in software. You don't want to write same software twice. So you want to leverage the library which is provided to you. And these people are doing nothing more than providing those libraries. And they're taking it to the next level. So most of the time you will see the libraries um, as part of the uh, famous languages or the popular languages, not famous, <laughs> uh, popular languages. Um, they do a lot of stuff for you. Um, and these guys, low-code, no-code folks and the previously ERP companies in between some other companies like Salesforce, that's what they do. They abstract that complexity, as I said earlier. Um, um, it can be at any level and then they give you this simple to use um, like drag and drop user interfaces and or APIs to write software with. Um, with the newer breed of, breed of uh, uh, sort of uh, platforms like Apian, they have enabled us to go like cross device, you know, uh, like if you write software uh, on that platform right now, it's a, like you can serve that on, it looks almost like native on iOS iPhones and then Androids and, and it looks good on web, web as web applications and websites, right? Mm -hmm. So so it's like write once and, and consume anywhere kind of thing. So and that if you want to if you want to retrofit existing applications that way, it's a lot of work. Lots of work. You have to if you want to write an iOS application, you have to learn Swift language, right? Um, for for Android you have to learn Java. For web, you will learn some other stuff, you know, JavaScript and a bunch mm -hmm. of other technologies, Python on the back end or and or .NET, whatever happens to be there, like a plethora of technologies. So you have a macaron with those things, but here they abstract that for you and then they create these interfaces with you for you. And most of the time, I believe these are, these um, these platforms are good for line of business. Uh, folks like they want to create applications for their their departments for for conducting the business. Uh, it can be you know, outside the company as well, not not only within the, the company, like partner applications and or serving the customers of that company as well. But but these these applications are written. Um, they are closer to I will say business than technology these applications, right? But if you are a SaaS company yourself, you will not be using something like this. That's what I highly believe. You will be creating your own um, uh, advantages for the market. Like you are faster, better, flexible. You adhere to more standards than others. The one caveat 
um, um, we could have gone later into this topic, but I will go right touch on this right now. Is one caveat of using these kind of platforms is like there's a vendor lock-in and deeper vendor lock-in, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if you develop this software based on that was a problem with, by the way, with the with the ERP systems as well. You know, once you are there, you're there. It's hard to get out of that. So once you use um, platforms like this, Pagan Systems, this and or you know, there's a bunch of others. Um, you uh, Salesforce is another one. Power Apps from Microsoft is another one. Service now is like a different category, but there's a similar sort of concept there. So the the you you kind of lock into that that vendor. Right, and you can't go out. You know, you get kind of locked in a way. But I think their success will greatly depend on how open they are in opening up their platform to like other vendors um, as well as um, their some sometimes their competitors. Like they can coexist with them. They can use their objects in, in, in their sort of context and vice versa. So they, they open up, like I can get data out of uh, APN very easily. It's, it's not only like, okay, I can get data into APN from um, SAP or mm-hmm. Oracle ERP easily, which, which is true. Uh, they allow that. Um, but uh, I think uh, their own openness, their own, um, um, maybe at some point, I think they will open source some part of their stuff and they might have some proprietary like scripting language because lo- the thing with the low code, no code sort of paradigm is there's some code always on there, especially in the low code of the low code, no code um, sort of uh, arena. Um, that's why it's called low code. There's some code and most of these companies use some proprietary um, sort of scripting languages um, in-house, developed in-house, right? So, I think um, unless that becomes a standard, it, it becomes a kind of drawback of the platform. You know, there's, there's so many. For... So many plethora of technologies to do automation, the Chef, Puppet, Ansible, you know, the bunch, right? And uh, HashiCorp uh, is creating a big platform around multi-cloud and cloud automation. And every company, like every cloud company has their own proprietary stuff. Like uh, Amazon has cloud formation, for example, right? And Azure has similar stuff and so does Google. So they're, they're, they're proprietary, but like all these companies, Chef, Puppet, Ansible, all these other uh, SaltStack um, and HashiCorp, they are uh, abstracted one level higher right and in they serve all clouds if you are right and some of them start to become kind of more leading standard than others right mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see how some um, these techn- some of these technologies take off and, and others kind of get left behind i think it's ease of use uh, accessibility how easily you can get to it is it open source or is part of it, it, it that is open source if it's not open source can you get your hands on to it like free of cost for first six months the developer friendliness uh, pricing all, there's so many factors about mm-hmm. these things right mm-hmm. so um, 
actually uh, on that note i think it would be good to put up a put uh, create a list of uh, must-haves in a um local no-code platform i bet there's some stuff out there uh, on, on web like you said like a well, a checklist for local no-code um, mm-hmm. yeah uh, the viewers or listeners listeners right? in this case they they should check that out uh, a lot of people are writing about these challenges and uh, in and how you, how do you consume technology in a meaningful way with, where you don't get burned right so yeah and those are great points uh speaking of low low code no code um you know coding is painful right and maintaining the code is painful. coding is joyful painful coding is the joy the ultimate joy no i i mean like if you have to code like you know a huge <laughs> platform or app like you know in how it was grown um yeah and then you know uh, you you always need to kind of maintain the knowledge. Uh, then you know your core developers leave. Somebody else comes. They'll have to you know un- understand the code and you know things like that. Yeah. So um, those platforms solve a lot of you know problems like that. And obviously you know the the downside that comes with that, like you said, is um, you kind of can be locked into that vendor for a very long time. Uh, I, I yeah, like I just um, I, I, like I always try to come up with these clever sort of uh, um, one-liners. Uh, one just came to my mind. I can hold it on. <laughs> it's like vendor lock-in versus self-constructed jail. Huh. That's uh, that's what it is. Like when 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 you write software yourself. Um, you got, as you said, you got to maintain it. And then if you lose those developers who wrote software, and that happens all the time, uh, well, we usually refer to those as ghost applications. Like somebody mm-hmm. wrote the application like 10 years back or 15 or 20 years back, it's running somewhere and nobody wants to pull the plug on that server. Um, that's again in cloud context and data center migrations con- context. I'm talking now that that we, we don't know like what that application does and if we need to change it or we need to move it to cloud, what will break or will it work? Um, and can we get access to the code? Can we refactor it? So yeah, you can, You it, it's very tempting or very lowering to write your own software, but at the same time, uh, I think uh, uh, going to a vendor, uh, a SaaS vendor these days um, may not be a bad idea. Yeah, I mean the I think the corporate enterprise IT will always be about you know active proactive management and uh, you know constantly calibrating where you stand so you don't you know go way too deep so you like literally if they uh, try to blackmail you you have no choice but you know like pay them more and more or something right <laughs> um and but but at the same time if uh, a company does offer you a great advantage uh that will save you you know a lot of time a lot of mental capacity a lot of money um you know why not right and uh, you know this is a great one-liner like you said you know what's better the vendor lock-in or uh, self-constructed jail this is actually pretty, you know, deep. I would say. Um, I had a, I yeah, I, I think the 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 I think just of all, this all is that that 
there's a, there's application management. And then if you, there's always a sort of a balance you have to keep strike, right? Strike, right? So like you can get the best of the breed SaaS application. If you chase the best of the breed application, then you will end up with a lot of vendors. And then you have a problem of vendor management versus application management, right? So um, if you go best of the breed vendor, sort of um, if you weigh, if you sort of tilt towards that kind of thinking, best of the vendor, best of the breed vendor, then you might come, you may compromise on some of the applications. Like somebody else has a better application a better platform than the vendor you picked, but you still adhere to that vendor because you don't want to muck around with another vendor, right? So I think it's always um, sort, of, sort of dichotomy of the, the whole sort of concept of like, should I go with that vendor or mm-hmm. stay with my vendor because the integration of their app, newer, applic- newer applications is easier with my existing ones. So um, unless and until that vendor you already have picked, right? You know, so your leading vendor, if you will, everybody has a leading vendor. Um, big companies have you know, leading vendors in every category, if you will. Um, unless and uh, until they screw up or they are not giving you direction like a, like a greater market is giving you, um, mm-hmm. then it's hard to shun that vendor. It, it, it's, it, it's in your interest to stay with that vendor uh, most of the time. So I, I call call these leaky buckets, right? So if, the, if a vendor messes up again and again and again, they don't give you the stuff their competitors are doing. I call them like your your bleeding markets here. They are, they have leaky buckets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You got to understand like if the if the vendor is appreciating the new way of doing things in the market versus they're they're, they're um, sticking to, to to their own like closed world any any decent vendor the and decent when i say like any mid age or older vendor like let's say 15 year or older company can um, become this uh, like we want to maintain our margins uh, we don't want to open it up and then they become this, these, these closed companies and then, you know, they put their guard up and then they slowly sort of bleed the market share to others and people flee, you know. Mm. So I, I hope it doesn't happen to uh, uh, these low-code, no-code companies. Some of them are are 15-plus years old companies. They actually just gained um, sort of... Uh, Popularity recently. Apian is uh, how old is Apian? Ninety nine, four hundred ninety nine. So uh, it's a twenty years old company, if you will. So yeah. Well, the uh, speaking of the uh, yeah the the age and uh, I'm looking at the financials. I didn't go into um, you know farther than twenty sixteen, but looking at the uh, revenue and profit chart, as I mentioned uh, earlier today. They have not turned profits yet in the last five years, unless they have been profitable, you know, before 16, for which I don't have the visibility in this, you know, Yahoo Finance. Um, um, so they've been raising a lot of money. Um, maybe they have never been profitable, uh, and uh, they have not been profitable for sure in the last uh, <clears throat> five years. And that's why I said, 
you know, maybe there's hope that they will finally turn profit soon. And I wonder, you know, if the, and actually looking at the uh, charts, like, in, you know, in 2016, they made, you know, 130 million and uh, lost 12 million. Then they made, you know, 176 and lost 31. Then they lost, uh, I mean, the revenue grew uh, very well, but they have been losing consistently more. So, uh, and uh, in 2019, they lost, uh, you know, 50 and uh, they are on track to lose slightly less this year. So I'm wondering if, you know, they are a 20, 21 year old company. Uh, they have not been able to turn profits. So maybe they are actually investing heavily in, you know, R&D and the uh, development of their platform. So it's actually, you know, because uh, I read some uh, case studies and some um, um, comments from customers, like, you know, great user interface, uh, very quick, um, you know, deployments, like you can, uh, after you install Appian, you can have your first app like in eight weeks. Uh, so maybe the reason they, you know, they are obviously making a lot of money, uh, in terms of revenue, but uh, they might be, you know, investing a lot into uh, um, the R and D stuff. So, yeah, I think it's that, and also a lot into marketing as well. So, it, it, I think, um, yeah, the, the I'm looking at their sort of I'm looking at Wikipedia folks right now, and knowing all these companies where they come from and how they evolve, I can easily tell. Like so in 2001. Apian developed um, uh, um, army knowledge space online, not knowledge online stuff like that. And then I saw the BPMS and and BPA. Okay, um, the the new abbreviation there I think um, might be widely used, but we used to use BPML, business process marking markup language. BPML, like XML, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, there was an um, Oracle creator that uh, called it BPEL. So we had at O'Commerce One, we were a very leading vendor at that point. We bought a company for $100 million from Austin. We called it Commerce One Conductor. It was a similar technology what 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 is underneath Apian right now. So um, and that, as you said, Visio-like, you know, uh, process uh, orchestration engine behind the scenes. So uh, BP... The, Oracle called BPEL, uh, Business Process Execution Language. So they were doing all that stuff till 2016 when they uh, hopped onto, I think, this uh, low-code, no-code sort of, uh, um, I would say, for the lack of a better word, bandwagon, and uh, they started sort of pivoting there since 2016. And uh, I think that's when where they got this uh, they got into a narrative again. A narrative, low code, no code is a narrative these days. And uh, and the citizen developer is sort of catching on. People are talking about that. Um, it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's a very raw thing to, to me still, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's not ripe yet. Um, we will have, we'll see a lot more vendors in this space. And then a lot of incum incumbents are doing low code, no code, including Microsoft, including SAP, including um, uh, Oracle is low code, no code. That's what they they spent 14 years, 15 years almost developing um, Oracle they, Fusion. They may not be as agile though. They, yeah, that is the key. They may mm -hmm. not be that agile. 
and they may serve only their technology stacks or only their customer base. So these yeah. are a higher level of abstraction on top of, I call them aggregators kind of company. It's not an mm-hmm. aggregator, maybe not the right term. It's like one go one no, hop. I, I, I see where you're going, yes. Yeah, yeah so, and then they have done that. And, uh, and, and some companies were sort of, sort of great to start with, and then they, they had a lull, sort of five years of lull, you know, period, like nothing happening. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're hot again, you know, any, any company which uh, does API um, management, API, uh, um, you know, orchestration of software, it, it, they, they're hot right now. So they, they are really hot in this, in last uh, about 18 months or so, but especially for last eight, nine months, it's uh, because of the COVID situation. Yeah. I'm doing my research as I, as we speak. So carry on. That's fine. Um, <laughs> actually, we are, you know, at about a recap point. Uh, I think that conversation was really great. Uh, one last question that I have for you, uh, Sarbjit, is, uh, you know, in five years, what, what do you think... Uh, a company, a company like Appian can look like. Uh, will they? I mean, obviously, they will keep that new product, the the, the core product, the uh, low code automation. Um, but you know, what other additional valuable services or uh, you know their own applications on top of their protocol can they introduce to add even more value to the companies? Um, what, what do you think they can? You know have under the hood uh, to, you know, surprise the market, surprise the customers and, you know, add a lot of value to the customers and the shareholders. I think if they, if they can. What what, what other huge problem they may uh, help solve in the enterprise that is close to, you know, business process automation or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think that's a great question. And it's a, Great as well as we kind of question, but the thing, thing with this is these kind of technologies is that as long as, as I said earlier, as long as they keep it open, if they can create um, better sort of, um, if not the standards, but but at least libraries um, uh, of like let's say they contribute to Python libraries for um, for. BPEL or BPML, you know, uh, purposes. If they create some more libraries, uh, forget about, forget about if it's uh, open source or not. That 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 will go a long way, because then this is there's one thing we I actually when we when I was just having breakfast and joining this meeting, I was like we, we should maybe cover is the polyglotism, right? Polyglot of like you can use this language here, that language mm-hmm. here, and so like you have multiple database technologies in the company. So that allows you to do that. Once, once you have a libraries at the, at the language level, they, the, at that point you start enabling the polyglot, uh, plot, polyglotism, if you will. And then you will sort of mimic the similar li- library in, uh, in uh, Node.js, in JavaScript or in uh, 
and uh, .NET and stuff like that. So that's how you lure the developers into your community. Mm-hmm. Without developers, I mean, it's kind of funny thing to say about low-code, no-code environments. Without developers, you're dead. <laughs> and, and developers are developer. Even if they're developing low-code, no-code application, they're still developing, I, I believe. Developer doesn't mean you're writing code all the time. Developer means like you're hooking things up. Um, uh, in a in a as an abstraction term, like a developer is anybody who develops, right? It can be software, it can be mm-hmm. just applications without writing software. So um, I think they have to be more um, uh, creator creator friendly. I would say not if you don't don't want to use developer um, sort of a word, uh, and uh, they are the operators, so they. They are operator friendly, I know that, but they can be more creator friendly. I think that will go a long way and, and having some standards and openness and uh, and, and and be out there. And, and, and then then uh, try to shed some legacy they are they're stuck with the old, old, old way of doing things and stuff like that and old narratives, I think um, that will go a long way. And then they have to compete with um, all these other vendors, right? So um, I hope they keep it pure. Means they don't take sides much with like a we are the you know blue stack or we we work better with Microsoft, you know, mm-hmm. or we work better with Amazon Cloud. So uh, um, sometimes you have to take sides, but I, I think purity of the vendor goes away when and if they get they take the sides especially if they get acquired by one of these big vendors, then mm-hmm. uh, I usually call it the, you know, these companies lose virginity, you know, they're, they get effed up by mm-hmm. bigger vendors. Well, with the, you know, 9 billion valuation, they are still in the range of uh, being an acquisition target, even if somebody yeah. pay, pays a premium on it. Um, yeah, it's like 15, 20 billion acquisition for a monster like, you know, Amazon or... Uh, Microsoft is, you know, not a big deal in terms of uh, financials. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. I uh, do remember reading on their website um, that uh, they, um, through their platform, they uh, offer the capability to leverage the AI uh, provided by, you know, Google or Amazon or um, Azure. So that probably means that they're, you know, cloud vendor agnostic and they allow you to, uh, if you are using, you know, Google AI for, you know, uh, whatever applications you want to use it for, then, you know, Appian is happy to uh, facilitate that uh, utilization of that uh, AI for you. So, yeah, I think you asked me the sort of the parting thoughts. I think where they will go from here, where they can take the platform from here, from here is I think uh, that they are they are saying that for the last year or so they will weave in the ML, machine learning, and the AI sort of uh, um, stuff. And then they to today um, they um, they sort of taught themselves they 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 brag themselves or. Being you know um, a a low code no code platform for sure, but the intelligent automation like grading bots and stuff like that, right? So RPA company, so it's a low code no code plus RPA uh, plus you know AI put together, 
um, AR is over here, by the way. Just just call it local no code plus RPA company. It's a two in one company, and I I see less of the, the. I mean, I see more. I see them more as a local no code company right now than the RPA company. But they have to, I think, do more work on convincing the market that they are the RPA company. And then behind the scenes, when you're RPA and or local no code like you cannot avoid machine learning these days if you want to do a good job of operations and uh, streamlining you know you have to do it i think you know but i think people should stop saying that they are ml companies or Mm -hmm. right everybody is (laughs) well i think we can uh you know wrap it up here unless you have any remaining comments i think we spoke for like you know 15 minutes or so that's uh been great and uh, uh, just a disclaimer guys you know this is by no means a financial advice uh, you know based on this conversation with uh, Sarbjit I'll you know revisit my position of Appian maybe I'll uh, add more uh, maybe I'll keep it the same but uh, yeah I mean uh, <laughs> did I confuse you? Did I confuse no, you? No <laughs> no I mean you actually you know uh, provided you know a lot of useful information that I can, you know, use. Uh, I'm probably not going to sell any uh, stock tomorrow, yeah. uh, but I may uh, add a little more uh, just because, uh, and, you know, I watched the video of, uh, I really like the CEOs when they are, uh, don't have any arrogance and they're down to earth. So uh, on apn.com, uh, there's a video of Matt Calkins, uh, who is the CEO, and he is like the way he talks, the way he, you know, looks and behaves. He seems to me like, you know, one of the most down-to-earth people uh, with, like, zero arrogance. And to me, that's always a great sign that the company um, has a bright future. Yeah, I did did one, uh, somebody said that recently, um, not to blab more about all this stuff, is I think it was a key that you don't invest in technology, you invest in teams. Exactly, yeah. So they, they got the technology and they got the great CEO. So hopefully he created that same culture. Uh, that I sensed, you know, in him uh, while he uh, recorded the video. So yeah, that that's, you know, there's a saying: culture eats strategy for like uh, for lunch or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, for great teams, when you're investing, that's it. That's the summary. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sarbjit. Uh, it's been another great episode, and hopefully, our listeners find it. Uh, helpful and uh, you know we'll continue to uh, discuss more companies like that and uh, hopefully we'll be able to invite some uh, interesting people to the podcast yeah. so uh, thank you for coming over thank you and uh, uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in and uh, see you soon